Hey, everybody. So before we get into the show, I have a question for you. I want to know who out there wants to unlock their true potential and transform their life on an extraordinary level. So there's no secret formula out there. Results come from long-term consistency, which is built through discipline. So do me a favor and take a moment to imagine what you could accomplish simply by taking consistent action towards your goals. For you, maybe that's crushing three workouts week in and week out, or maybe it's increasing your income by making 100 sales calls every week, no matter what. Or maybe it's simply sticking to a consistent schedule with your spouse to improve your marriage. So imagine what life could look like by building that relentless consistency. Consistency. So here's the exciting news. Achieving this feat is 100% within your grasp. And we know this because we have done it. And we're here to empower you with the tools and guidance you need to cultivate relentless consistency and success in every aspect of your life. No longer will you face this journey alone because we are in your corner, ready to support you every step of the way with three phenomenal options to kickstart your transformation. Option number one, our monthly ideal connect calls. So these calls are extremely affordable and they help inspire and equip you with the practical strategies that you need. As a bonus, all attendees receive ideal merch that changes each month. So check out our YouTube channel to witness the transformative power of these calls for yourself. Option number two, the ideal light package, perfect for those who already have a clear vision of the actions that they need to take, but maybe just require some external accountability to build that unwavering consistency. This option will help you stay on track and conquer your goals. Option number three, this is the full-on ideal impact coaching package. Our comprehensive coaching is tailor-made for individuals seeking to discover their purpose, define their own success, and take on challenges to embark on a profound journey of personal growth and fulfillment. So if this got you fired up, go ahead and head over to idealimpactpodcast.com. Again, that's idealimpactpodcast, one word.com, and sign up for a free coaching consult to learn more about the transformative possibilities that await you. All right, that's enough for me. It's time to dive into the show and immerse yourself in the incredible insights and experiences of our host and guest. Let's get after it, everybody. Thanks for checking out the Ideal Impact Podcast, where we discuss five key skills and the impact they can have on your life as well as some major issues in society. You ready to get after it? We're live. <laughs> I don't even know if you gave it, gave it enough time to actually get started. I'm sorry. It either, either worked or it didn't. One more time. now that's a little more editing for me perfect let's just roll with it all right gentlemen so you recorded an episode without me last week how'd that feel was that was that your win for the week i thought it was way better yeah yeah than the ones with you to be honest but now we missed you (laughs) we missed you man it was a good one but we missed you i wouldn't call it a win i would say it was i don't know it wasn't as fulfilling yeah it wasn't. All right. Well, that means a lot to me. I appreciate that. So, well, since I wasn't here last week, I'll go ahead and get started with my win for this week. So I rewarded myself with some new running shoes yesterday and finally, like actually spent some money on them, got some Hoka Clifton's and it's like running on clouds. I was, I was doing sprint intervals at like a 430 pace for 60 seconds this morning. And it, it was just incredible. I don't know if it was like a placebo effect that I was just amped up because I had new shoes or it was the shoes themselves, but either way, I considered that a win. So off with a great start to the week with two, two good cardio sessions. <laughs> Sounds like the PF flyers from Sandlot. Hell yeah. Yeah, guaranteed to make a kid run faster and jump high. First off, I love the Hoka's. I'm a big boy. I'm like 250 pounds and I have a stand up desk and the Hoka's, that padding is nice. Yeah, it's like running on clouds. It was incredible. (laughs) What's your win for the week, Doc? My win for the week, um, I launched a new email blast to uh, for my my new rebranding and uh, actually got some compliments on it. And so instead of everybody unsubscribing from the list, I got some compliments. And so that's a huge win for me. Oh, yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Well, we'll give you three, uh, three new subscriptions today after we get wrapped up with the, with the podcast. I appreciate it. Randy. Oh yeah. I'll go. Um, wins for the week. I, I hit like, I didn't hit all the habits that I had planned for the week, but I hit 90% of them. And I have like seven or eight that I'm trying to accomplish each day. So for me to hit 90%, I'm taking that as a big win for the 
past seven days. Yeah, that's awesome. Good stuff. What about you, Brian? So my big win would be with my custody with my children. I have them a week on and a week off. So this week I had them the entire week and I was still able to hit my morning workout, my evening workout, my gratitude, the gallon of water. So um, I don't know if I was 90%, I would say I was. So it's a win for me too. Uh, while doing that, I got to spend a lot of time with the boys. They had some interaction with me during the second workout. So it was fun. Heck yeah, man. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, we would know what percentage you were if you would download habit share and start sharing your habits with us. So hey Kyle, he's got if it. you if you didn't know this, <laughs> my coach is sitting right next to me and he gets it every day. Ooh, well, maybe you need to add me then so I can see it too. And then we can yeah, both call coach. you out. Call well, I am now. You're welcome. Okay, I will add you. I'm gonna do it right this second. <laughs> All right. Awesome. So joining us. So, so Dr. David Powers today. So doc, why don't you go ahead and just give us your background, start with kind of like how you grew up into what you're doing today. And we'll jump in and ask you some, some questions along the way. All right. Sounds good. Um, I grew up in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, which sounds really nice, but it's a, it's a very redneck vacation destination and uh, grew up in a trailer park. I uh, had a rough time growing up, uh, you know, bright red hair, rosy cheeks all my life and uh, got beat up a lot uh, just because kids enjoyed beating up the redheaded kid. And uh, that kind of led me down my progression of um, going into occupations where I learned how to hurt or kill people that were after me. So <laughs> 17, I went in the Marine Corps. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you never know what's going to drive I like you, right? that. <laughs> right, for sure, so, uh, for sure. Yeah. I, mean, I started arts early because I just got tired of getting beat up and uh, Marine Corps at 17, um, four years in the Marines. And then to be honest with you, I got tired of the, the job I was in, uh, amphibious assault. And so, I mean, it was fun when we were doing something, but how often do we hit a beach these days? And so, you know, it was always just training, clean the trucks. And so I went into the army after that as a medic. And uh, some people say, well, you were in the Marines. Why not go into the Navy and be a corpsman? And uh, there's no way I was going in the Navy, not after being a Marine. That was, that's just wrong. You didn't want to transfer, transfer to the women's department, as they call it? Yeah, right? yeah. I mean, and I didn't want to go into the Boy Scouts or the Air Force. And uh, so I went into the army as a medic and uh, served another four years in an armor battalion, which was awesome because hardly anybody got hurt. But when they did, it was really cool. And, uh, you know, my ambulance was a 113, which is a small armored vehicle. And, uh, man, we would have so much fun in that thing. Plus, it was the only air conditioned vehicle in the whole battalion. So, um, so, so the troops... You... You would say you said you had so much fun in the vehicle. Like, all right, so I, me and me and one of my buddies took the commander's Humvee one time and just went Baja on, on these back trails up in Michigan and flooded it because we shorted out the electrical system. So, what what was like some of the most fun that you had in that? Well, we uh, we kept trying to see just how big a tree we could knock over with it, and uh, <laughs> it was so much fun. And um, you know, and though most of the time these days they don't they don't like you taking them in the water, even though they'll float and move and everything, they do they do really nice in the water, even though you're not supposed to most times. But uh, for the troops' comfort at night when we were asleep and we weren't being tactical, we would leave the AC on. You know, that way if we needed to treat somebody, we we'd have a nice cool place for them. And uh, we also slept there. So that was nice. It's <laughs> convenient. Um, so after the Army, uh, that was about 2001. After the Army, I was working disaster medicine. And so 9-11 uh, happened, and I got to be like one of the first people to help start the, the Department of Homeland Security. So that was a lot of fun. Uh, back when it first started and before it kind of became the bloated bureaucratic mess that it is now, it was just fun. I mean, uh, the early days when we were responding to uh, Katrina and stuff like that, it was a blast. And, um, you know, we would go set up field hospitals and disaster sites and treat people. And man, it's just loads of fun. And some of the most amazing experiences I've had there, you know, we're do doing that versus the military because I got to do my job. There was very little paperwork because you know how it is. You guys, when you're so far away from the commanders and, and the where the paperwork is, you can kind of have fun, do your job. And just it's, it's a blast. And uh, that's me now. I mean, I'm out of the military, I'm out of federal service now, except for contracting every now and then. Um, so I, I live on a little farm in upstate South Carolina, got five kids. And, uh, you know, I, just, I do motivational speaking. I do stuff like this. I write books, just living the dream life. I got a mountain bike trail that's a couple miles long that right outside the front door. 
And so it's just a blast. I think the three of us need to take a trip to South Carolina. <laughs> Sounds like it. Yeah. Dude, I got yeah. so much property here. I got like 10 acres that you can camp out on and just enjoy. That's awesome. Yeah, we definitely need to, to do more. So I've been actually talking to a friend that I met through my, my mastermind group, uh, Emer Go Abundance Emerge. His name is Doug. And I was like, dude, we got to get some training in together at some point. But he's out in Colorado. So I'm like, All right, I got to I guess I'm going to make a trip to Colorado at some point. So now we got to go to Colorado. We got to come to South Carolina. We're getting all over the place. Um, and you're, it's funny that you said that about Myrtle beach. So I went to Myrtle beach one time and my take on it was, it was just so overly touristy. Like I felt like yeah. everything I passed was either a gift shop or like a putt putt course. I'm like, this is not my idea of relaxing. Like I want to get away oh, from yeah. people when I go on vacation. So have you ever watched uh, Eastbound and down? Uh, I, oh, with, uh, oh, what's his name? Uh, Danny McBride. Dan yes. Yeah. yeah. I, I have, Most but it's of that been a while. Show was in Myrtle Beach and it was so accurate. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. The haircut and everything. The <laughs> yeah. mullet. Yeah. Nice. Uh, definitely back today. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, unfortunately. Um, but yeah, so uh, one thing that you mentioned in there was martial arts training, Doc. And that's something that we have all participated in as well. Randy was a college wrestler and we do jujitsu now. So what are some of the martial arts that you practiced? Maybe what were some of the key takeaways that you learned through them? Okay, yeah. I mean, I started the early days like most kids with, uh, you know, Tong Sudo or uh, Jeet Kune Do, stuff like that. Just whatever was around where I was living. And um, I enjoyed it because it gave me an outlet to, uh, to fight where I wasn't so dead set on trying to hurt somebody. Um, a lot of anger in my early years because I just tired of getting beat up. And, uh, you know, so a lot of the fights I started in school before martial arts, I just wanted to hurt somebody uh, or wanted to really get back at somebody that was being mean to me. So martial arts gave me uh, a reason to get fit and a reason to learn how to fight that was just based on a challenge and being fun and helping the other person evolve as well. I mean, it's like jujitsu. I've never, I've not done jujitsu much, but I know that, you know, unless you're just purely trying to win tournament style, it's a matter of getting in there and having fun with somebody and teaching each other. It's just a, yeah. lots of lots of fun. I mean, now I'm getting into Filipino martial arts with uh, sticks and knives and things like that, and way more fun, uh, way more. As a matter of fact, I've got some bloody knuckles right now, um, but uh, yeah, it's a blast. Yeah. So one of the biggest things that I've taken away from jujitsu, and it sounds like you know from your experience in martial arts and, and Randy and Brian, I don't know about you guys, but is the emotional t intelligence aspect. So when I first started, so I took, I did Taekwondo as a kid, but it, you know, I quit in the fourth grade and, you know, I, I really don't remember it much. So when I got back into it as an adult, it really tested my emotional intelligence going in there with the intent to just learn and to train and to help somebody get better. And it's, it's important to keep your ego in check. And there are so many times, and Randy and I have talked about it on the show before, where I let my ego lead the way in that, you know, regard, and I'm competing against somebody who's much smaller than me and getting my butt kicked. And it's just super frustrating. And once you take away those lessons, it definitely applies to the rest of your life when it comes to business, being a father, being a spouse, all of those things. There's so many good um, analogies for life within martial arts. So I, I'm sure that you found the same thing. Randy, I don't know if you have anything to add to that as well. Yeah, just the analogy for life, like you were talking about, like I'm 180 pounds. And when I have a 250 pound guy on top of me, like I can't go crazy and get out there. I have to keep my emotions under control, which helps you in life in those situations where you're starting to get stressed out. And instead of me freaking out, now I'm able to stay calm and work through the situation. I couldn't agree more. You know, years ago, I was at a gym where I was constantly training boxing and Thai boxing. For me, I would walk into the sparring ring with the idea that we're here to spar. But that one punch that you got that was a little extra than that 75%, boom, makes you want to. And that's where it really comes into controlling itself, the discipline to be like, okay, you know, this is just sparring. I don't need to kick the guy's ass right now. But it does. It, it adds a lot to life and how you control yourself outside of a gym. Oh, yeah. You know, something I've gotten into a bunch lately, uh, kind of an outbreak of the Filipino martial arts is uh, cane foo. Uh, it's a weird, like, fighting with canes. And it's, it's 
geared towards disabled people. But uh, my dad's a disabled vet and has to use a cane and walking stick quite a bit. And it's a lot of the same skills as the Filipino stick fighting, but it's using what I consider the the only 100% legal weapon you can carry anywhere, even on a plane. You can carry a walking cane. Yeah, and, that's uh, a great so, point. I, mean, I never thought yeah, about I'm that. I'm thinking that either. Yeah, that's pretty sweet. Plus, I mean, you know, you get a cool cane, it just looks neat. You know, you get a top hat and a cane, just walk through the <laughs> mall or whatever. <laughs> That's awesome. So you had mentioned that you were doing some motivational speaking nowadays. So um, kind of g- give us some background on that and maybe how the ideal skills work into that. So again, for everybody out there that's listening, ideal intentionality, discipline, emotional intelligence, accountability, and loyalty. Um, so again, the motivational speaking and anything else, just as far as like entrepreneurship and being self-employed, all, all of that stuff as well that you're doing now. Oh, yeah. Uh, motivational speaking, I, I got started with that teaching first aid and CPR uh, just because of my medical background. And so I started, I had to go to a lot of medical conferences. And most of the time when I went, um, and you being in law enforcement, you'll understand this, at most of those conferences, it's the training officers uh, that are doing the presentations and they suck. Uh, most of them are not good speakers. <laughs> they just have a job that is training officer. And so they get tapped to speak. And so I started offering to speak for free, and then it morphed into getting paid to do it. And now I get to travel all over, and I mostly speak at EMS conferences, uh, a few fire, a few law enforcement, mostly EMS. And um, I branched into motivational, but to be honest with you, what I enjoy more than that, because the motivational, you're typically doing like a keynote address, hopefully a few thousand people, if it's not the last thing of the conference and nobody shows up. But what I enjoy is the small training, uh, the breakout sessions. And uh, as far as the the ideal aspects that you guys talk about so much, I love doing a pre-conference. It's like an eight-hour, I call it NCO school, because it's training middle managers how to understand all the things that you guys talk about with ideal. And uh, emotional intelligence being one of the biggest ones that I harp on, because I like to do this NCO school where it's kind of like a leadership seminar for middle management, Uh, the NCOs, the people that really run the organization, and so that's what I've gotten into more and more just because I enjoy it more. It doesn't pay as good, but it's more fun for me and more towards my calling. Yeah, I think we, awesome. three of us were all NCOs and I think that applies. So I'd like to maybe catch up on that, see one of these that you're talking about. When's the next one? Oh yeah, one? it's fun. Yeah, yeah, I'll do like an eight hour uh, pre-conference if I can talk them into it. And uh, man, I, the reason I enjoy it so much, I think it's because it, it's a small group, usually 20 or less. And I can actually in eight hours, I really get to know everybody and I'll stay in touch with them later things like that. Yeah, that's awesome. So it, 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 it sounds like the intent there is much more of an intimate setting. So you get to build those deep connections and really connect with people. That's awesome. Oh, yeah. Yeah, very cool. So you said something there. So you started speaking for free and then it morphed into to something, you know, what you're doing professionally now. So would that be something that you would give advice to people like, hey, if you if there's something that you enjoy doing and you're not sure how to monetize it, because we talk about that so often in society today, especially around entrepreneurship. And when you're involved in these mastermind groups, it's like, hey, find your purpose and the money will follow and we've taken that mindset here with Ideal too. It's like, hey, we're giving away free coaching all the time to just try to add value to people because that is our mission. So would that be a piece of advice that you might give somebody who's trying to get started in something that they're actually like passionate about? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, to get started speaking free, it wasn't just at those conferences. I would speak at churches a lot too. And, uh, you know, small churches, you're lucky if they take up an offering for you or, or maybe they take you out to eat afterwards. But it got me the experience because um, I'm a big introvert. And so for me, getting up on stage, it was one of those I need to conquer my challenges thing. And so I started getting up on stages as much as possible. And that's how I got to where I was comfortable speaking. And even now I'm comfortable to the point where I'm not the best speaker. Um, I get dressed up, but I still stick out because I got the beard and the bald head. But uh even when I mess up on stage, it doesn't bother me because I, I mean, I've split my pants before I've, I've, you know, how right before you go up on stage, you like wash your hands in the bathroom and then splatters on the front of your pants, yep. that kind of thing. Yeah. It looks like you peed yourself on stage. Um, <laughs> I've done that. I mean, it, it's gotten to the point where I'm comfortable enough speaking and that's only from experience. If I mess up, so what in an hour I'm gone, I still get paid. If they don't bring me back, I don't know why. You know, I'll just kind of include that in the self-evaluation. 
that's awesome. What I found from teaching is like, if you do screw up, like they don't know that you're screwing up anyway. <laughs> yeah. You know, cause you're up on stage. I mean, you're like the hero to most of those people, right. you know, unless you're like me and you're looking at the training officer saying you suck. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's awesome though, too. So basically, so I, I have a friend that I was talking to this week who I actually, it was so funny because I heard through the grapevine who, and, and it all came back to somebody that I end up talking to every single day, um, you know, that they had been struggling with putting themselves out there, being comfortable. They're an introvert. They want to get better at speaking, communication, eventually get into public speaking. And they ask for some advice. I'm like, reps, it, you, the only way to get better at it, to get more comfortable is to just not fear the mistakes that you're going, you could, no matter how long you wait, no matter how much you practice, you're going to make mistakes. The best thing that you can do is just put yourself out there. So I sent them the link to sign up for a podcast interview. I'm like, Hey, I'm like, it's reps for you. It's reps for us. Like all around, it's a win-win. It's not going to go perfectly. Who cares? We're all going to learn from it and continue to get better. So I love that you took that mindset. And in order to overcome that fear, you just did it. My biggest fear is sharks. And I have zero plan on ever actually overcoming that fear and getting into the water with sharks. But I think it's a little bit different. Oh, you know how I did that? Um, I worked one summer in Key Largo as a uh, dive research intern. And uh, I started taking trips with this one guy that would go down there and pet the sharks. So he would like go down there with bait fish in his hands and chainmail gloves on. And, uh, you know, I, I'm down there with him the first time. And, and I grew up in Myrtle Beach, so sharks were just normal when we were surfing. But I'm down there watching this guy in a scuba gear, and he hands me a nurse shark. And it's just like hands it to me. And next thing I know, it's in my arms. And it's like, okay, it's not so bad. <laughs> we're doing <laughs> may this. not do this again, but it's not so bad. <laughs> Well, hey, at least it wasn't a great white or something, right? right. Yeah. Hey, we're gonna make it a point when we make this trip to see him down in South Carolina. You're getting in the water. It's gonna take your. I don't know. I don't know what it would take to to do that. Like I. And the funny thing is, I grew up on the water. I I grew up. I spent my entire days in the summer on the beach in Newport, Rhode Island. But and I got in the water all the time when I was a kid until I watched the movie Jaws. And I remember, I'm like, Mom, Dad, like those are in that water and you <laughs> let me do that like that's horribly irresponsible as a parent <laughs> you know what's scarier to me is alligators because uh, i mean the sharks most of the time you see them i mean it's like they they have to warn you before they bite you um the alligators that we would swim in the rivers and black water and stuff like that and i mean they're huge and they're scary and you never see them until they're there yeah, I'm in Texas. Well, I'm not in Texas. <laughs> Currently, right now, I'm in Menor, Ohio. I'm back home. I'm in my parents' house. But we're my wife and I, she just got back into Houston this morning, and I'm going back next week. But I was at, I saw somebody post in the local community page. They have an eight-foot gator in their pond right now. So I will not be going in the lake or the <laughs> river or anything along those lines or any body of water whatsoever while I'm down there. <laughs> Mine, mine is snakes and I will not go near a snake. I don't care if it's a gardener snake or uh, any, I don't, it doesn't matter what kind of snake it is. I'm not going near it. I have to agree with him that I have a very embarrassing story about a gardener snake that. <laughs> oh, I have several. Yeah. It scared the shit out of me. And, and my, at the time, my little five, four wife picked the snake up and walked it away. Like I, I wasn't going to do it. Not, not a chance. I've wife, always wanted to be one of those guys that would just go pick them up. No but, way. Yeah. Oh, I, I do. I, I used enough to come home. To know which ones are absolutely safe. I don't want to get bit by any of them. I got a buddy that I work with. I'm going to shout out to Johnny. Awesome dude. He's got all the reptiles, big ass turtles, snakes and stuff. He's tried to get me to hold them over and over and over again. And I, I just can't do it. So Johnny, you got balls, you know, brass balls, man. I, <laughs> You know, so funny is so we're all talking about this stuff. So obviously sharks are an irrational fear. I can just stay out of salt water. That's pretty simple. Uh, we're talking about snakes and all this. And every single one of us signed up to potentially sacrifice our own lives and go into <laughs> battle and do it, you know, all this stuff. And it's like, I remember too, I was, I was at the hospital one time. I had um, appendicitis and the nurse comes over. I have tattoos and she's telling me, Hey, we're going to start an IV. I'm like, ah, oh, I can't look because I'll probably pass out if I look while you're doing that. And she's like, it's always you big guys with tattoos that can't watch, <laughs> you know, can't do needles. I'm like, listen, that they're just there to make me look tough. It doesn't mean that I am tough. It's a scare <laughs> tactic. It's like a, it's like a poison dart frog. They're bright colored for a reason. 
Uh. I mean, we were uh, we were in a training exercise in North Dakota, and they had us like on this this ranch, like where the cattle were. They just moved them, and that's where we stayed for three weeks. And there was two rattlesnakes in uh in the tent. So I I packed all my shit and moved tents, like thinking. Thinking the solve. rattlesnake just can't get into the <laughs> other tent. Like they're only gonna go in this tent, so I'm gonna go over to this tent. I would say your intentionality there was misguided, Randy. I ended up sleeping on the trailer of the truck eventually. I was like, through <laughs> this, there's there's too many snakes everywhere. If I had been there, I would have been going out and finding a big rubber snake to to throw at you <laughs> in the middle of the night, right on your chest while you were sleeping. Like I'm definitely afraid of them. We were on a hike once and I didn't even realize that I did it, but a little gardener snake just went out on the path and I threw like my daughter in front of me. <laughs> <laughs> Like that. Oh, so I guess we won't be starting ideal parenting anytime soon. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, to Brian, your your superpower is keeping us on track, and here we are talking about I, I, was, and track. I was just looking to do that. <laughs> but well, uh, and, and how were you how are you going to do that? Go ahead. I, I was gonna ask the doc. Um Basically, you know, we talked a little bit about your background. We know that you've done some public speaking, that you were in two different branches of the military. I want to know a little bit more about, you know, you grew up getting picked on. You went to do a job. What led to all that? I mean, at some point or another, between your adolescence and your adulthood, you chose the path of becoming a doctor. What did it take? Try to relate that to what we talk about on a daily basis. Was it just intentionality? You said to yourself, I want to do this. Or was it something that happened in your life? How did this come about? It was actually a good mix of both that led the, the pathway to that. Um, in EMS, I had, uh, I call it the, the year of hell. Um, I had a lot of friends get killed, uh, both in EMS and in the military. And uh, the biggest one that got me, I think it was a good friend of mine that I served in the Marine Corps with, and he went back as a contractor. And I saw him at Walmart. I was working on an ambulance, saw him at Walmart right before he left, and he was trying to talk me into it. He said, there was another position open, go with me. And he went over, I didn't, had a couple kids by then, just, you know, tired of that life and and didn't want to miss the kids. And uh, he ended up getting killed on the way into Fallujah. And I would have been, I mean, basically an RPG got shot through the front windshield of his Suburban and uh, just incinerated the inside. And I would have been sitting right beside him. And uh, that that, and a few other things that happened in EMS, some friends getting killed on fire scenes, pushed me to the edge uh, as far as EMS went and, uh, you know, had enough of that. And I decided that, uh, you know what, crappy pay. Um, everybody's dying around me in, in what should be a fairly safe occupation in the United States. Um, except I was getting shot at more in the ambulance than I did in the military, which baffled me. I mean, I'm here in upstate South Carolina where it should be fairly safe. And the rednecks usually don't shoot at you, um, but everybody else was. And so I decided, you know, I'm going to leave EMS. I'm going to burn that bridge and I'm going to go back to school. And the intentionality part was I wanted to get a terminal degree. Yeah, it, be honest with you, it didn't matter what it was in, but the trouble I'd had in EMS led me to seek a counseling degree. And so I went to seminary and uh, I was actually in two different college programs at one time because I'm very driven when I want to do something. So with the intentionality aspect of that, I wanted to finish this degree, but I also wanted to get my doctorate and get a terminal degree. And I was doing both at the same time at night, had a couple of kids. Uh, just staying up late and got my degree in counseling. And my idea behind that was that I wanted to go back to EMS and help the people that were having the same trouble I did. I knew that um, self-therapy in a way, uh, the things I learned in counseling, uh, the internships, the the working with other people, it helped me get better myself, but also gave me tools that I could use to help others. And that's when I started doing the speaking more, the motivational speaking. I I call it motivational speaking for lack of a better term, but it's more of a, I don't know, a therapeutic get off the couch and do something kind of speaking. And so, uh, you know, that's where I am now. I like helping people that are going through the same thing I went through. But you guys understand being in the military and law enforcement, you can't just talk to anybody. Um, and the weird thing is the people that would understand it the most, the ones that are right beside you, you can't talk to them either because then they're going to question you or you worry if they're going to question you or crack up or something. And so uh, I try to be that guy that's enough outside the system that people can talk to. 
and then I can help them get a little bit better and keep serving. Or if it's time for them to get out, like, I, I mean, I just needed to get out. I was useless as a paramedic at that point because all I wanted to do was get in and out of a scene, be done as quick as possible. I was, I got to the point where I was enjoying the trauma scenes more than the medical scenes, just because it was something I could do hands-on and actually fix. And so it was just a bad time for me. And so now I want to help the people that are having those troubles. Were you still working during this time? You said you were doing, you were in two degree programs. Were you? Yeah, you I was, um, I was in an associate's degree program, getting a, a paramedic degree uh, just to up my money. And then I was doing night school at night with the seminary stuff and then working in between. I mean, you know how uh, EMS and fire, we work 24-48s usually? Mm -hmm. And uh, so I'd work 24 hours. And if it was a slow station, I could do schoolwork while I was at work. And uh, then 48 hours off and, you know, sleep as little as possible. But you also had two kids, I think, at that time. You're married, yeah. I'm assuming. You know, you yeah. have other responsibilities. What did you do to balance it all? I didn't. I didn't. It was rough. And uh, matter of fact, kind of what was born out of that, I've got a lecture now and it's called, um, let's see, my wife hates me. My kids don't know me. And I think I have a dog. That's the title of the lecture. And it's all about life balance. Yeah. That sounds interesting. I would like to see that. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and I, I think that was a good question, Brian, too, because like, I think that's one of the biggest things when I am talking to new clients or something, they often tell me, hey, time management is a big thing. And really what it comes down to, I'm like, hey, we all have 24 hours in the day. Regard, regardless of what you do, how you cut it, you have 24 hours in the day, we spend about eight hours of that sleeping. So now you're down to 16 hours, you can only do so much. And there are going to be many times in life where it is out of balance. It's a matter of keeping that in mind and eventually working towards getting it as close to balance as possible. But in reality, there is no such thing as completely balanced. But that's why it's just so important to be mindful of it and take actions to get back on track when you can. Oh, yeah. I mean, now my, I'm building my dream life now based on that because, like, for one thing, I've given up a lot of income so I can spend more time with the kids. Uh, I've got a home office, constant interruptions. We homeschool, too. So, I mean, they're, they're here all the time. And uh, I mean, like we started out the morning, I've got my little kids in the weight room. I've got an old barn with a squat rack and some bench press and even my little girls doing bench press and everything. And um, I, I'm at home at lunch almost every single weekday eating lunch with the kids. We have dinners together and I don't want to do it to the point where they just get tired of me and have no time without dad. But I've given up a lot of income and a lot of job opportunities just to, you know, more time with the family because in a few years, they're all going to be gone. I can always build my business back up after that point, but I want to enjoy as much time as I can with the kids. That is awesome. I think it's really important. I, I can relate to that right now. Um, I want to spend as much time with my boys as possible with the situation that we're in. So I applaud you for that. There are plenty of parents out there today, and this is one of the things that we've talked about in the past, you know, the parenting of today's world is just so different. So what you're doing, Doc, I think is awesome. Putting the family before, you know, the career, that is dedication, that is discipline. You know, you could easily be like, you know what? I'd rather be at work because it's easier, it's peaceful, it's quiet. And that's, unfortunately, that's how a lot of people go about their days now, so. Yeah, and it's made me smarter too. I mean, I'm building, anytime I do something now, I'm looking for ways to, um, like a lecture, if I do a keynote lecture, I'm looking for ways to repurpose the content. So I do the work once and then publish it in 30 different places. And so, you know, either passive or near passive income. And uh, that's my goal is to get to a, um, it's a huge goal right now, but I want to get to the thousand dollars a day in passive income. And that way it's a thousand dollars a day, which is a lot of money compared to what I'm making now. And it's all passive. Like, if I want to go to the zoo or spend all day going out looking for snakes so I can come hide them in your guys' houses, um, I can do that. <laughs> Doc, I'm telling you right now, if, if the doctorate falls through, you got to become a comedian, dude. You're fucking hilarious. A comedian I and a professional. I stand up one time and telling all the, uh, all the dark jokes we used to talk about at the ambulance station, but I figured people wouldn't <laughs> like that. 
<laughs> I think that's what the world needs right now. They need more dark humor. People take <laughs> they, they take life and it's so they're offended by everything. And it's like Dr. Phil says something we talked about on a previous show, but just because you can be offended doesn't mean you should be offended. Like <laughs> lighten up a little bit and enjoy yourself. It's it's yeah. incredible where we're at. Uh, one thing that you said in there, or or excuse me, you actually said this in your episode of Small Steps, Big Wins with our friend Sue Soller. So shout out to Sue and her podcast. Make sure everybody like listens to that. But that you like to do dangerous things safely with your kids. So kind of what is the intent there? And does that tie into to your philosophy around homeschooling at all as well? Oh, absolutely. Um, and uh, two things. First, I was talking with Sue yesterday about you guys. We go to church together. And uh, so we were talking about you guys. Oh, over that's coffee. awesome. Yeah, I forgot. I didn't even know. I think she did mention that to me. That's awesome that you guys go to church together. Yeah, yeah. But uh, that quote, I ripped it off from Jordan Peterson. So I have to give him credit. But uh, yeah, dangerous things carefully. Um, and so I want to, uh, I mean, even among dads, we're trying to be all manly and everything. But when we see our kids doing dangerous things, there's that instinct to, to make them want to stop or be more careful. And though there are certain things that I make them do, like you know, if, when we're mountain biking, we wear helmets because um, I've already busted my grape open too many times. And uh, so we'll wear helmets when we're mountain biking, but I encourage them to just go do dangerous things and uh, just be careful with it. If you're climbing a tree, I mean, kind of the thing with my kids climbing trees or what we love is when we find a little valley and there's a dead tree across the valley and like a little bridge. And so you can walk that bridge and, you know, a 20, 30 foot drop. And so I always tell my kids, if you start to fall or lose your balance, just go ahead and jump. I mean, you're going to be safer trying to control that jump than you are falling and landing on your back or your head or something. And so dangerous things carefully. I mean, climb trees, but, uh, you know, don't climb the little tiny limbs. That's how you be careful doing something dangerous. Um, guns, I know guns are a touchy issue. Like you said, uh, people get offended by guns, just the idea of them. Um, I go by the premise of uh, teaching my kids how to handle guns, and that way I don't have to worry as much about the safety. Um, so, I mean, a gun is naturally a dangerous thing, but the carefully, the safely way to do it is kids knowing how to use it and it not being such a foreign thing that it looks like a toy to them. You know, they realize that this is something I need to pay special attention to. Uh, if I'm at a friend's house and find one, I need to tell somebody, you know, that that kind of stuff. You know, do the dangerous stuff, but just do it smart. Yeah. So I, I had made a post on the Ideal Impact podcast Instagram page about how I would address the current issue of gun violence that we're experiencing. And one thing that I would do is definitely reinstate firearm education within schools. Now, ultimately, there are you're as a parent, I think that ultimately does fall on you. But when we go back and we look through history, that's another thing that I think we're doing wrong in society today is we're ignoring history or trying to erase it rather than learning from the mistakes that have been made in the past. But if we do that, if you learn the to respect something, whether it's the height of a tree or a firearm itself, if you learn to respect it and you learn and you understand that it is a dangerous thing that can be used in a responsible manner, can be scaled in a responsible manner, whatever it is that you're facing in life, then that ultimately like kind of disarms that curiosity aspect. It's it's. So I love the thing that you're approaching there. How do you think that those lessons apply to other areas of life as well? Because I'm sure that's kind of the intent there, right? Is to teach teach yeah. your kids like, hey, there, there's other things that are you're going to come across in life. If you can do it with this specific thing, you can do it with other things. Absolutely. I mean, a core part of our homeschooling is uh, critical thinking and logic. And so that's a it's a core subject, but it's part of every subject we teach. I mean, like, for instance, with gun safety, Critical thinking and logic plays big part into that with knowing what to do. I mean, it's a step-by-step -step checklist driven. I mean, just thinking about gun safety, whether you're unloading one, whether you're checking to see if it's safe, it's all, it's logically based. And it's just really fun trying to bring that into aspects with my kids. I mean, I've got younger kids. I mean, a lot of videos that uh, I can't post on YouTube, but I mean, I got my kids out working chainsaws and everything and just, I teach them slowly. I start them out with, uh, you know, the small stuff, working on small limbs. And next thing you know, my kids are cutting the trees for me while I'm working, that kind of thing. It's pretty cool. And I don't have to worry about those things laying around, machetes and chainsaws. I mean, so if you guys ever come visit, I mean, it's, it's going to be fun. How old are your kids? Okay, so uh, my oldest is 18. He's out of the house. Um, but I've got a uh, 16, 
12, 10, and six. Still in the house. So I have a six-year-old myself, and I, I find it difficult because I do things with he, – he's been riding in a motorcycle or at least a dirt bike or a four-wheel <laughs> he was two. Just, last, just this past week, we're out at a drag strip, and he's drag racing. To me, it's easy to do that stuff that I grew up on, but I struggle with what you're talking about. Like, you know, I get nervous when he picks up a hedge tripper or, you know, hedge yeah. Like, how do you, how do you leverage that? Like, you just have to let it go and be like, they're, they're gonna learn because I'm yeah. thinking. I, I have to just that off. down. <laughs> uh, one of the things I do, uh, like my, my 16 year old, when he was 15, um, I let him go start uh, helping. He was working with a guy that does remodeling. And uh, that was part of how I had to do it. Because if he's beside me working with the circular saw, things like that, I'm going to be eyeballing him. And every 30 seconds, I'm going to be like, you're being safe, got your goggles, you know, whatever. If he's off working with somebody else, I just got to let it happen. And, uh, you know, trust that he's going to do what I've taught him. But uh, like the gun safety, I actually, uh, I paid a friend of mine. Um, he was going to do it for free, but I threw some money at him. And um, he was in the Marines and Marine Security Forces and, and a whole lot more handgun training than I ever had. And so I paid him to come teach a full day homeschool class to all my kids on gun safety because I knew they're going to listen to him way more than me. And so outside instructors and then just pushing the kids out the door and, you know, go do dangerous things with somebody else for a while. And that way I can rest. I don't have to be so stressed out all the time. Yeah. And I, I think it's just it's it's for me. So I don't have kids, but my dad, I grew up around farm. My dad was in the Navy for 22 years. So he was in the women's department of the Marine Corps there. Right. I wish I'd known that before and... I said something. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, you're good. We we give each other shit all the time. So but he was on the, the marksmanship team for the Navy. He grew my grandmother was a marksman, my grandfather. So I grew up around firearms, but I had a such a high level of respect for what that was that I would never even fathom going and touching a firearm without my father around or somebody who's responsible enough to, to handle it correctly. So and, and to me, that means you can't no matter what you do, you, your your children are not going to live in a bubble, they're going to be introduced to dangerous situations. So why not introduce them to them at a young age in a safe manner, so they know how to think logically and critically through that experience. And they are they are setting them up for success in the life, but by keeping them in a bu bubble, whether it's emotionally, physically, whatever it may be, you're not setting them up for success, you're setting them up for failure, because then they're not going to know how to handle that situation on their own. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and experimentation too. Uh, we had an incident here on the farm a couple of weeks ago where um, one of the neighbor's dogs got loose and was trying to bite at my daughter. It's a little dog, so not very dangerous. Um, it just nip at you. And I watched for a while out the window to see how she would react. And so I was curious what she was going to do and it didn't go well. So I had to run out there with a stick. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was a learning experience. And so after that though, yeah, we've got sticks strategically stationed all around the house in case the dog comes back uh matter of fact i shot at it this morning i i had my glock out in the weight room with me just in case the dog came up and well it did so um <laughs> you know the fun things you can do out in the country in south carolina but uh yeah just experimentation you just got to give them a chance to get hurt and uh you know but like you said when they're young in a controlled environment that's how you do it carefully while they're here, they may get hurt, but it's in a controlled environment. And I know plenty of medical skills to, you know, patch them up or patch me up. I'm the one that usually gets hurt the worst. <laughs> I mean, I have three, uh, three kids of my own. And I find that if you ignore these things and, and you don't talk about them, they become more curious about it. And then they're going to go find out this information on their own or at a friend's house. And I don't have control over that. So. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Sex education was a big part of our homeschool, too. Lots of uh, time spent looking at uncomfortable drawings and things in school books. <laughs> but that needs to happen. Right. That doesn't yeah. happen anymore. Yep. And that's really concerning. And it's not a secret that there are plenty of people out there that are producing children and <laughs> are not ready and should not be. And Right. Oh, yeah. Well, I teach health and PE and I used to teach high school health and we, we would go over sex education and the questions that I would get, like, they don't know. They don't know. Like they're seeing stuff on, <laughs> on videos and 
talking to their friends and that's when they're getting their information from and they think this stuff is true like oh i can't i can't get her pregnant because we're in a hot tub i'm like well <laughs> <laughs> well well and that's the thing is like especially now with the kids having phones and i mean you're you're exposed to things you know pornography whatever sexual exploitation at such a young impressionable age it's like you need to be as a parent as you know, well, we'll just leave it at that. As a parent, you need to be having those conversations because there are so many external influences that, again, are out of your control. It's like, hey, I have to have this uncomfortable situation. I need to be emotionally intelligent enough. I need to hold myself accountable to have this expectation because I owe it to my kids to set them up for success. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I'll probably let my kids... I mean, I don't know. The Karens out there would not like some of the things I've let my kids watch. I mean, some of the movies... Um, some of the ways I let my kids joke, um, and especially my 16 year old, he's kind of hitting an age where he'll joke a little bit or he'll send me uh, videos from Instagram and stuff. And and sometimes he'll push it too far. And I need to say, OK, yeah, so this was funny, but, you know, dial it back just a little bit and uh, let's don't watch this kind of stuff. But I mean, it's like you say, they're they're young and it's in a controlled environment. And so that, yeah. that way I can kind of shepherd that and let them know when they do mess up and they need to go back a step. Well, and that's the that's I love that you just said that, because I think it's great that your kids are comfortable enough sharing those things with you and then absorbing the feedback that they're getting, because that's a that's an amazing way to learn. Like, hey, like there's a line you probably crossed it a little bit. Let's dial it back. So that's awesome. Um, one other thing, too, I wanted to go back to it. So you had mentioned in your background that you were and correct me if I misstate this, but a, a founding member of Homeland Security, correct? Yep. Yeah. Yep. So um, could you explain just a little bit more about your experience there? And then I think after that, we'll get into to wrapping it up with our, our three questions. OK. Uh, yeah. I mean, that was uh, tr tremendously amazing for me because I'm just a big nerd about things like that heraldry and, and organizations and things. And so I was working for FEMA doing disaster medicine and then 9-11 happened. And next thing you know, President Bush started up this whole new department. And I mean, like, you know, you've got the the military, you've got everything else in this new department, the Department of Homeland Security. And so get to get to be a, a part of that from the beginning was really cool because I got a neat little, I've got a plaque somewhere back there behind my Chucky doll. But uh, I got a neat little plaque saying I was a founding member and a little pin and everything. And so not tremendous money value, but it's the kind of thing that you just don't see very often. I mean, how often is a an entire department of the government stood up from nothing? And so because I was in FEMA, we got absorbed into that and actually got to help uh, write a lot of the protocols and the practices for disaster medicine. And so basically responding to any man-made events, uh, responding to natural disasters, whether it's tornadoes, wildfires, hurricanes, things like that. Um, I got to go to the, a couple of the G8 summits uh, that were held here. And so got to be part of the uh, Secret Service medical team there in case uh, there was something that happened. And uh, that was a lot of fun because the resources that come to bear from all the different agencies. I mean, we all talk about how bloated the government is and all that kind of stuff and how needless some of it is. But when we get to go out and play with all of our cool toys and do some fun stuff, I mean, it's just, that's the government at its best when we're actually doing our job, we're doing something right and something that's needed and called for. And so, yeah, they, they rolled us into that. We got to, uh, we got neat new uniforms. We got to be part of that. And uh, the pay didn't go up. Oddly enough, the pay didn't go up. At all, but, uh, it was still Shot, cool. The government didn't pay you more money. That's that's unheard of. Yeah, yeah, and uh, you know, nothing service related, right? That weird ringing in my ears. I'm wondering if it's you guys talking or if it's just the tinnitus. <laughs> That's you know, you've awesome. had a lot of uh, a lot of jobs and cool experiences. So I, I want to know which one do you like? Which title? you like the most like what's the most important one to you um as far as just pure title combat medic just it sounds cool because it makes people think that you're like you know attaching a tourniquet with one hand while you're firing away with an m16 <laughs> with the other and uh, i was literally pitching i was picturing the same thing but maybe like a like a 240 bravo with one hand yeah. you know instead of the m16 I mean, I'm, I'm one hand in the mark 19 and just firing off and uh, dragging somebody with the other out of a burning helicopter. That's that's what it, reality was like. Um, but no, it's uh, that's the coolest title. But as far as the funnest job, it was disaster medic with Holman because 
uh, for instance, Katrina, we went down there and we went south of New Orleans and um, we took over a, an old high school that got flooded near some of the refineries. And we set up all these tents and everything on the football field. And we were landing Blackhawks on the football field and just thinking, wow, this, you know, two weeks ago, this was a high school and there were kids here out here playing football and stuff. And now here we are, we've got hundreds of patients coming in. We got wild packs of dogs roaming around people with snake bites. Snakes were horrible after Katrina because they all got washed out of the swamp and they were in the houses and everything. And uh, not only that, spiders too. I don't like spiders or scorpions. Like the way you guys feel about snakes, for me, it's spiders and scorpions. And uh, they were everywhere, but we were doing our job. And, you know, once again, we had air conditioned tents because it was medical. And uh, so we had a nice cool place to relax. And they had a decommissioned cruise ship that had been up in Nova Scotia. And they floated it down and parked it down there for us. And that's where we lived for a couple of weeks in an old, you know, moldy cruise ship, which was actually kind of neat. That is that's awesome. Great. Yeah, I uh, that's one thing. So the South, I've learned about, we've seen scorpions, tarantulas. I saw a black widow for the first time, like out in the wild the other, or last week. So yeah, I'm, I'm good on spiders for sure. That's awesome. So yeah, thanks, thanks for sharing all of that with us. I want to show you something really cool. Yeah, go for it. I thought the uh, badass hatchet, the baseball bat with guard wire <laughs> and all that. Other yeah. Cool. <laughs> so as far as scorpions there. go, I hate them because scorpions just look evil. So what I like to do is I grab them with tweezers and drop them in alcohol. And I've got boxes and boxes of dried scorpions uh. that I found. These all came from inside my house. What? Well, no thanks. <laughs> I don't They're know like, that's right. They can trip to meet this gentleman. Yeah, no, I'm good on Ohio. I after being living in Texas now for four months, I'm like, yeah, no, Ohio's cool. We have so many less things that can bite you and hurt you or kill you. That sounds South like some is cool crazy. science experiments though for the homeschooling. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, anything you can log in for homeschool that you know catching scorpions is just botany or biology or whatever depending on what you're doing with them i'll go ahead and get us kicked off with uh, our final three questions here so the first one that we like to ask is so of the ideal skills so again intentionality discipline emotional intelligence accountability and loyalty what is your biggest challenge and what are some things that you've done to work on that skill uh, the emotional intelligence for sure i mean that was an easy one my hardest one because um i lack empathy i, I don't have any of it i wasn't born with it and uh, don't feel sorry for people usually. And so I've had to work on that. And but to the point where I recognize I have certain strengths and my strengths are, you know, fall into the whole mission first troops later category, uh, very analytical and disciplined. And I'll forget that there are other people involved. And so especially having kids, I've got to just tamp that down and uh, sometimes just abandon the discipline in favor of like, hey, my, my kid just needs a hug right now. Um, I got stuff to do, so it's a short hug, but hey, you just needs a little <laughs> hug right now. So, yeah, so I just have to work on that. That's that's a work in progress, but uh, emotional intelligence is my weakness. Uh, I got to know how, like, more. kids have every, I mean, every kid has their own personality. So how do you, you have five kids. How do you deal with each personality and how are you able to use your emotional intelligence to to work that? It's been, uh, it's been difficult, but uh, I teach a lot of uh, DISC, uh, you know, the DISC tests uh, where you different personality attributes. And I've tried to apply that with my kids and the older ones, when they get older, I make them take the DISC. And that way it really clues me into like, how does this person want to be approached? But uh, one of the biggest things for me is uh, letting them know how I am. And uh, it keeps me from being too direct sometimes with them, like uh, letting them know that, hey, when you want something from dad, just give him the facts. And that way I don't get frustrated. I, I don't feel like they're wasting my time. Just they know how to approach me. I know how to approach them. And it, it helps everything out quite a bit. Keeps the emotions down as far as or the negative emotions. Hey, Doc, for I'm I'm probably the only idiot in the room here that doesn't know what that disc is what it stands for. You know, this might be something for our listeners that could help all of us improve our emotional intelligence. Can you elaborate on that? What is the disc test? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh so you got D-I-S-C. So the D is like uh uh, dominant domineering, uh, you know, the alpha kind of person that just very direct, uh, more self-centered. I mean, you can have the positive and negative aspect of each. Um, so the I, the I is more of uh, what you'd consider the uh, cheerleader type, um, which for me being a heavy CD, um, I hate the eyes. Like you get somebody around me that's like constantly bubbly and 
it, it sounds very feminine when I say cheerleader, but it, it's there are a lot of enthusiastic guys that are just always happy, always wanting to play around, things like that, and that wears me out. And so that's the I, the DI. The S is stable. Uh, the vast majority of people are S's. They're stable. They try to get along. Uh, for the most part, they'll do their job. You just leave them alone, and they go off and do their thing. Um, on the negative side, they're going to try to avoid conflict and, and just in an effort to get along. And then you've got the C. That's where I'm the highest. Uh, the C is uh, I mean, different letters, different words you can use for it, but I prefer concentrated. Um, a C is more of an accountant type. They like numbers. Uh, they like facts and figures. And so just to, for instance, me being such a heavy C, if somebody's wanting something from me or wanting to talk to me, uh, don't tell me a whole story. Just give me the bullet points. That's all I want. I, I really don't care about any of the other stuff. And so that's where, you know, sometimes the lack of empathy comes in is I have to listen to the story sometimes. And so hey, realizing that uh, my kids are these other letter categories really helps me. Gotcha. I don't know if you caught it. I said, how pissed were you through hearing all of our stories at the start of the story? <laughs> No, no, no. You guys are fine. It's uh, to be honest with you, it's um, when you're around somebody a lot, uh, like you hear the same stories over and over. And so you finally get to a point where you just want to. Uh, can we just skip the first 10 minutes of that story and you just tell me what's new? Sure. Yeah, no, I meet people for the first time. My wife, whenever she tells a story, like she'll be like, oh, guess what happened to me today? And then she'll go into like a 40 minute speech on things that like led up to that point. And I'm like, just get to the point of the story. Yep, I have that problem myself. <laughs> I'm, I'm a Kyle, uh, Cal, Cal, no, Callie, dude, Callie's worse than I am. I love her to death, but I, she, I'm like, all right, when you tell me this, tell the Kyle version. Don't tell the Callie version. I'm like, you know, like, how, hey, how was your day? Oh, I was pretty good. Like, I got, I got a lot of rest. I got some stuff done. That was great. Or, like, well, this morning at 8.03 a.m., I hit snooze twice, and then I got out of bed, and I brought, I'm like, Callie, I'm like, geez, Murphy. Um, yeah, it makes yeah, you no. just want to pull out the knife hand and just, you know, tell me the facts. <laughs> yeah, so it's funny, too, because my wife was an E4, so I was an E6, and she was an E4, so I, uh, sometimes I'll call her specialist, uh, by her maiden, <laughs> specialist with her maiden name, and she does, uh, she does not like that. <laughs> getting us back on track doc uh next question next question is going to be we always ask our listeners about a book a specific book or per perhaps a, a specific podcast that you've read or listened to recently uh, or even in your past that has really made an impact on you if you have one can you share it with us you've got it right there oh, yeah. what is it? <laughs> i pulled it out it's uh the big leap by gay Hendricks. Um, it's not a brand new book. It's been out for a few years, but uh, I read this book last year as part of a mastermind. And then, and um, it's all about upper limit challenges, uh, realizing where you've hit an upper limit challenge and that's keeping you from progressing more. Uh, and upper limit challenges are kind of those points you hit where you start to self-sabotage. And uh, like me sending out that email blast last week that went really well. I could have easily said to myself, you know, I've sent out email blasts before and they didn't work. It's not fun for me to do. I'm, I'm just going to skip it. I'm not going to try this. That's an upper limit challenge. I moved past it because it needed to be done. And lo and behold, it ended up working out really well. And so this is this book. I read it. I went through a book club thing with my mastermind. But not only that, I read it at lunch with the kids. We always read and do a devotional before we eat. And so we read through this book as a family it's crazy. My kids will be watching TV with me at night and a character on TV will do something stupid, usually drama or relationship stuff. And my kids will point at the TV and they'll say, oh, they're hitting an upper limit challenge. They need to move past that. <laughs> so it's amazing what the kids will pick up. Well, I'm going to tell you that I probably need to read that book because I've been faced with some upper limit challenges recently and I've not navigated it well. So I appreciate you sharing that with us. It's something I'm going to look into. Yeah, I think we all it, need to read that one for sure. Right. We're, we're running into upper limit challenges every day with starting a new business and everything that everybody has going on with their families. So yeah, that that is amazing. I had not heard that book before. So thanks for sharing that with us. Yeah. And it actually teaches you also to lean more towards your strengths. Like I know I need to be careful with emotional intelligence, but God gave me strengths for a reason. 
not to tamp them down, but to, I mean, that's the calling I'm supposed to put out into the world is the strengths that I've been given. I feel like a lot of people focus on their weaknesses too much. Like, yes, you want to make those better, but that you can't forget about the strengths. Like, why would you downplay your strengths and only focus on the weaknesses? Yeah, exactly. Well, I guess I got the last question. I was going to say, who's going to ask All right, it? that's me. So if you could give any piece of advice to our listeners, what advice would you give? Uh, look for an adventure every day. Like and uh, adventure, I, I really loosely define adventure. Um, for you, I mean, it could be, uh, your listeners, it could be a new food. Uh, it could be uh, getting out of the office for lunch. It could be trying something with your kids that you don't enjoy. Um, just something that is new and different. That's how I define adventure. And, and, and I try to look for a new one every single day. Like uh, today, uh, the adventure I've got planned is uh, HIIT workouts, you know, the HIIT workouts. Um, I hate cardio. And you talked about running shoes. I love the Hoka's, but I hate running. And uh, so today, my adventure is I'm, I'm going to do a HIIT workout for my afternoon workout. And so that's my little adventure that I'm going to detest, but I may lose some weight and work out. And I may love it. Who knows? Hell yeah. <laughs> well, when we come visit you or you come visit us, either way, we'll put you through a good hit workout because that's uh, that's something that we do regularly now. And as we've, you know, Randy and I especially were very big on just lifting heavy for a very long time. And as we've gotten older, we're like, this is really stupid. We should probably <laughs> do something like a little bit more overall beneficial to us as we get a little bit older and everything. And uh, so that's really what we've been leaning into. I would tell you it is something different. When you're out there doing one of those workouts, when the heat index is like 113, 115, and like it has been in Texas when we were back home, and yeah, I was like, this is incredibly yeah. stupid and potentially dangerous. So, uh, yeah, that cranks it up a notch. But yeah, thanks for for sharing that. The advice, I love that advice. That that is awesome. Something that I've been doing is the Build Your Life Resume Calendar by Jesse Itzler. Itzler, I'm not sure how oh, he pronounces it. Oh, love honestly. that guy. That yeah, book you yeah. Did with, uh, David Goggins was amazing. It was hilarious. Yeah, so good. <laughs> it's such a good read. And but he has this big calendar where you basically like plan your whole year out from a life perspective, like date nights with your wife or trying something new every other month. Yeah, there like you a go. Big you gotta, wall calendar. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I ha I normally have it hanging up behind me, but I'm I'm back home right now. But yeah, something like that, just doing something new, something small every single day. It's like we so we forget to live. We're so focused on just going through the day-to-day -day monotony of being an adult that we forget to do those small things that keep life interesting. So thanks for that advice there. And then where can our listeners either follow you on social media, get some of your content, uh, and also subscribe to your email list? Like how, are, how can they do that? Um, Checkforapulse.com. So just like, you know, CPR, just check for a pulse. That's me. Uh, they can find the newsletter. Uh, you go on Instagram and, and TikTok. I mean, I got videos on there, me and the kids doing weird stuff here on the farm. That's awesome. Cool. Awesome. Well, yeah, thanks for everything, especially for your time. Thank you for your service into in so many ways, the Army, the Marine Corps, EMS, Homeland Security. That's that is all fantastic. We appreciate that greatly. Anything to add before we Oh, first, one thing that I want to add and hope I'm going to make sure that he listens to this episode. So one of my very good friends, his name is Sean Powers. And it's like looking at Sean. I was going to say that, dude. I was going to ask, dude. is that Sean's dad? I mean, dead serious. I you you have to see Sean because he you guys are spitting images of each other. Big red beard. I mean, eye color, everything. And, and before he knows it, Sean, again, you're going to listen to this. You need to uh, adopt the the bald life. You need to do it, buddy. You got to adopt nice. it. Except Just for that crease it. right there. That's where I got hurt. Yeah, I got a big lump in my head, like in my skull. Like I just have a huge bone that sticks out up there. Yeah, shut up, Brian. I'm sorry, boys. I'll, I can't do it. I'm, I'm one day we're one day one day we're gonna hold Brian down and shave his head. <laughs> uh, he did that to me before I went to basic training. <laughs> he kind of did. That's awesome. Randy, Brian, anything else to add? So I just want to thank you for coming on and sharing your story with us. It's been inspiring. You've, you've made me want to go out and try something new and adventurous today. So I appreciate that. Likewise, Doc. I think it was awesome. I think you're personally, you captivated me. I think oh. your humor, you know, your stories. I think what you're doing with the public speaking and stuff is amazing. 
Um, I'm serious when I say it. I hope maybe we can check one of those eight hour things out, but uh, you know, keep doing what you're doing, man. You're changing lives. And I think it's uh, awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and just one last thing to add in the, Oh yeah. The screwdriver. I've got a screwdriver frame back there. Bring me on another time. And I'll tell you the story about that. Somebody tried to kill me. With, <laughs> uh, somebody tried to kill me with that screwdriver and I framed it. Nice. But, uh, yeah. That so that's a good awesome. story for another time. But uh, this morning working out, we were talking about getting old and the military has ruined all our joints. Um, I started experimenting with time under tension workouts instead of heavy weight. And uh, I enjoyed it. I, I see you got a 45 on each side of that bar back there. And that's what I was benching this morning, which is pretty light for me. But I was doing the time under tension and uh, like 10 seconds up, 10 seconds down is a quicker workout, but it wore me out. It makes it a lot harder. Oh, yeah. My, my days of going harder or hard and heavier are, are over. Like my joints can't take it. So I do a lot of time under tension and I change stuff. Yeah. I haven't figured that out yet because I'm actually training to do a bodybuilding competition and <laughs> not really taking it that easy. You're going to yeah. regret it, Brian. I'm <laughs> training for a oh. 10 mile. <laughs> I'm not going to regret it. Cause I'm going to complete my goal by competing. And then when I'm done, then we'll make some modifications. Well, how's it there going? Because go. I mean, that like begs for a reveal. Uh, oh, yeah. Take it, take it off, Brian. Let's I'll, see. I'll, we'll give a flex, but that's about Ooh, it. Girl, <laughs> you got your uh, your competition thong yet? Uh, I will not be wearing a thong. I'm going to do classic physique, so it's going to be like a pair of men's boxer briefs. So you're not training legs, is what you're saying? Got it? No, that is that is legs. You just don't. Your legs are still judged. You just don't wear the banana hammock. That's all. Right. Oh, what's the one where they wear the like the board shorts and they don't? They that's don't do legs. Like, oh, okay. Got it. Got it. I don't know the bodybuilding stuff. Uh, one thing. Oh shoot! I was that reminded me of something, and now I can't remember what it was. But either way, what, I the think banana hammock. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, no, the banana hammock got me sidetracked because I was so I was thinking about Brian in a banana hammock, and then I got I got off topic. <laughs> Brian, but yeah, awesome. Second week of yes, right yes. Now. This is I I had I had started a few months back and ran into some really really difficult time, and I put that on hold. I needed to focus on my kids and some other stuff. So I'm two weeks in. My coach is sitting next to me, you know, the workouts, all that stuff, the motivation, uh, when from him, it's, uh, it is important, but, uh, we'll give you a, I'll, I'll send you a follow up here in the next <laughs> couple of weeks or a month or so. <laughs> awesome. Well, thanks again for the time, Randy, we'll turn it over to you for our, uh, our patented send off. Bye. Hey, everybody, if you like what you heard today, please check us out on Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter. And don't forget to head to Eventbrite and grab one of the 10 tickets available for our monthly Ideal Connect call. Then when you're ready to take the next step, message us on any of our social media pages to book a free coaching consultation call to see how we can help you start living your own ideal life. Thanks again for all of your love and support. And always remember, you have everything you need to achieve success. It's just a matter of believing.